0: in. Hey I'm not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep.
1: Susan's not judging but I totally am. Oh come on. If you do need to snooze we would much rather you did that at home in your warm comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast.
0: You'll still miss out on some things we think are pretty cool like intergenerational interaction. You know, the church is kind of one of those few places you can do that. And the support and encouragement that that brings. Some good music, perhaps, or charming children at children's time. And we won't be able to give you cookies or coffee following worship, but we'll give you what we can.
1: I'm Chris Marshall.
0: And I'm Susan Foster.
1: We are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We are not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week.
0: We started this podcast, so if you're away from home, working, coaching your kids' soccer team, maybe you're just sleeping in, you can keep keep
1: up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So, whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just ask that you would keep an open mind and an open heart.
0: And we're serious about that open mind and open heart. In fact, we don't actually think you have to believe everything we say. We want you to disagree, to figure out, to discuss with others what you think, but our sincere hope is in the midst of all of that, you will experience the mysterious and loving force in the world we know as God, moving in your life as you consider
1: this. Can you believe it? Can you believe what? Can you believe it? No, what? Can you believe it? I don't know what it is, so I don't know if I can believe it yet. All right, so today I am talking about, can you believe it, which is... That I think we have a really hard time believing in things we have not seen. Oh, yeah. Totally. So, I recently heard about a little kid who tested his parents. Okay. He lost his tooth and didn't tell them. Oh. And kept it under his pillow for three days. Oh. And no money appeared. Should I put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode? <laughs> you probably should. The little No, no money appeared until he told his parents that his tooth had come out, and then the next day there was a dollar under his pillow. Okay. So uh, he confronted them Mm -hmm. with what he thought was the reality based on what he had experienced, which was that there is no tooth fairy. Right. His parents who are quick thinkers said, the parents are the intermediaries to the tooth fairy who have to let the tooth fairy know that tooths have come out. Teeth have been extracted in order to... Yeah, there has to be a a form somewhere, right? There's a form. You know, it's online now. Oh, it's just so nice. uh, But Can You Believe It is really about how we want to test the things that are told Mm -hmm. to us, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, not a bad instinct. Nope. Probably
0: probably evolutionary, powerful thing.
1: But that we need to see it. And so so we started with the story of Thomas. We didn't read the gospel in church. Uh, We read a different scripture. But we started with the story of Thomas. Uh The story of Thomas is about... This guy one of the disciples. The disciples have lost Jesus. This. He was killed. Lots of weird stuff happens. They're really freaking out. They're convinced they are next. Right. right, right. What, Jesus what, has been killed like, by the state. You know, you don't just take out the head of the mafia. You take out the whole family. And so they're waiting for <laughs> right. the knock on the door that will announce their arrest and perhaps their own death sentence. Right. They're all freaking out. Thomas, being a practical sort, decides to nip out to the grocery store or something. some... Milk and bread, and maybe a paper to see what's going on. While he's out, the disciples have this amazing experience mm-hmm. where they they experience Jesus coming back and talking to them, and the, it's a really powerful thing for them. Right. as it would be. And right? Jesus goes away and Thomas comes home, and these people that he has left cowering in a fetal position in the corner are suddenly like bright and happy and ready to go, Bouncing off the walls. yeah, just just out there. And so of course, Thomas is a little skeptical thinks there's been a massive neurotic break, perhaps, (laughs) but uh, he's a little skeptical about what happens. And he says the snarky thing about, unless I can see it it. with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it.
0: Right. You guys can say this happened, but I really need to experience it for myself.
1: And so the question then was, can we believe it before we have seen it? And so the scripture that we read on April 15th, we read it a little bit later than everybody else read it, was from Acts chapter four, verses 32 to 35. And I, this is out of The Message, and I apologize, it's just as good out of any other version, but this is the Bible I preach out of because it's, it fits in my hand well really, while I'm <laughs> preaching. Acts four thirty-two to 35 says this, The whole congregation of believers was united as one. And this refers to the congregation that was made out of people post-Pentecost mm-hmm. who had heard the story of Jesus told in their own languages mm-hmm. and were therefore considered part of this congregation, which means it's about 5,000 people. Right who all speak different languages. Right. They're all from different parts of the world. They're all very different people. They probably have different political leanings, different jobs and affiliations, regions, probably There's... different
0: understandings of even the Roman empire.
1: Right. And so this group of people, these 5,000 people in Jerusalem are the beginning of church. Mm-hmm. It says the whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one heart, One mind. Mm. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it according to each person's need. Hmm. So, you know, they were asking a little more than we tend to ask of our church people today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were sort of asking everything. Right. If we hold everything in common, then nobody will be without. And I think right. we have a really hard time believing mm-hmm. that. We, we have a hard time actually believing two things about this community that I think are relevant to us today. The first is that we can be that diverse and be of one mind. Yes. And the second is that if we are all generous, that we can actually help solve the issues that are related to poverty. What a crazy concept. But we don't really Mm. believe it because we've never seen it. Mm. And we've never seen it because we've never done it. Right. And so it's one of those crazy things in faith where you have to do something Mm -hmm. in trust. Right. In hope. In order that it might come to fruition, but that it's not going to be certain mm-hmm. and it's not going to be unconditional.
0: Right.
1: It's going to be something that we actually have to work on. So can we believe it before we see it? This side of Easter, as we're talking about the birth of the church mm-hmm. and what that looks like, what the emergence of the church looks like, what the purpose of church is like, these are the two things that stick out for me. It's unity and diversity and generosity in poverty. Mm. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. These these five thousand different people right. are all agreeing with one another, not because they all agree with one another, but because they have a common purpose. Mm. They're willing to work towards a common goal. Right. There's a great Russian author named Alex Solzhenitsyn, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called That's Shorthanded Archipelago. Mm-hmm. And he says this: If only there were evil people somewhere, insidiously committing evil deeds. <laughs> And it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Right. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. So
0: this isn't a superhero movie. This is not a superhero mm-hmm.
1: movie. Hey, superhero movies are actually getting more.
0: Oh, Wait, no. Don't get are. me
1: started on superhero movies. No,
0: no. We've had this discussion before, but I mean, like, it's not the simple, like, it's not the simple good guys versus bad guys.
1: Superman is always good. Lex Luthor is always bad. bad. No, it's more Marvelish. It's more X-Men. Mm-hmm. I'm jaded and hurt. And wounded, and yet I will still do what I can. Right. That's sort of who we are. And so the, the idea that diversity of thought mm-hmm. is a good thing, it makes us stronger. Yeah. Because what we're looking for is how to be good together. Right. And how to have purpose together, mm-hmm. and how to serve together, and not necessarily how to be right, and have make everybody else oh, wrong. Oh, that
0: is such a hard
1: concept to get across, right? You know, John McCain just really, John McCain, somebody I do not agree with about most things. Thanks, right. Released mm-hmm. his memoir today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're recording in May. Right. <laughs> basically. John McCain released his memoir and he talked about how the people who are most effective in Washington are not the hard-nosed ideologues. Right. Because if you go to Washington saying, I'm going to kick everybody out of Washington who disagrees with me and I'm not going to not going to do any work that doesn't, doesn't perfectly person- line up with my agenda, you're going to get nothing done. Right. That politics is the art of the possible, which means finding a solution to a problem, Mm-hmm. And making that the priority over your own ideology right. that maybe nobody is thrilled with, but that everybody can live with. Right. And so what we actually need in Washington are people who can compromise, mm-hmm. are people who can listen mm-hmm. and try and reach hands across the aisle and have respect and yep. hold dignity for each other and not people who demonize each other. Yeah. And he says, and that's on you, American people, mm-hmm. because if you're not involved at the local level, then the people who show up are the zealots. Right. And the zealots are not gonna send people to Washington who play nicely. No. So that was not in the sermon. <laughs> but no, it was no obviously, but, I it, read but it fits, today right. That I just went, Oh yeah, you know what, John McCain, I think you're actually right about that. Oh yeah. And and the moderates don't get a good rap all the time because yeah. like just pick a side already. But right. it's not always about sides, it's about trying to figure out what are the needs and meeting the needs. Right. I was at UNR, uh, University of Nevada Reno mm-hmm. for I was invited as part of the faith community leaders to this breakfast and we didn't really know what it was about until we got there. So we sat through a presentation about UNR <laughs> for a little while from Mark Johnson, the president of UNR. He's lovely. I sat next to a guy named Kevin, turned out to be the provost of the university. <laughs> so I'm sure he was very impressed with all of my jokes and <laughs> also happens to be a uh, boss of a friend of mine. So, you know. That's yeah. great. But at the end of this, this presentation, which was mainly focused around how they were trying to diversify UNR, mm-hmm. trying to diversify the student body, veterans and non-veterans, age-wise, trying to, to make university more accessible to people from lower socioeconomic rungs, trying to make university more accessible to people whose families had never been part of the college experience before, and all the programs they put in place, all the recruitment tools they have. And then they turned to these faith communities. Uh-huh. And they say, "How can we do this better?" Mm. So, what they were wanting to us to figure out was in the forty-five minutes they were giving us this presentation. Right. What would we do differently?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And the thing is, like, I represent a mainline denomination. Right. And a lot of the world is built for the people who are in my church. Mm-hmm. And while we have access to folks in the congregation who are poorer and who are maybe not white and maybe not from middle-class backgrounds, uh, that's a minority of the right. congregation. And so I can think about it. Right. I can make those resources that they've they've, um, talked about accessible to the people in my church who might need them. But I'm not going to have a great deal of perspective about what the barriers are because most of my people don't have a problem with that. So I just listen. I asked a couple of questions. One of the questions that I asked was, how representative is your faculty? Mm -hmm. Because we tend to recruit the leaders who look like the people we want to recruit. Right. So it's the same in churches. If you've got all old white men leading, your congregation's mostly going to look like old white men. Yeah. Uh, if you recruit younger leaders or people of color, you're going to resonate with a wider audience than if you just have one type of person in the front right. of the church. So that was a thing. And then I asked if they have any classes that particularly incorporate racial and intercultural sensitivity mm. that are required for all students. Uh, They talked briefly about the very famous photos from Charlottesville of the students from UNR Mm. who were in the rally on the side of the white supremacists, who were not covering their faces, who were not hiding their identities. That one student who is sort of the picture boy for Charlottesville is from UNR, and he's had to change his name. He takes mostly online classes now uh, because the backlash was so strong. But how do we make space for people to actually experience other people's culture mm-hmm. and learn about their own assumptions, right. which is the, the heavier part of the work. And they said, y- yes. <laughs> that conditional <laughs> sort of. yes. So, um, so that, you know, something that they have going on. But when somebody asked them, what can we do as faith communities to help you, which I thought was fairly obvious, Actually, it was one of those questions that was like a, it was a head scratcher for me because I thought they just told you what they need. They need you to tell them right? what they're missing, right? Right. But they said, what do you need from us? And one of the people who works in student life stood up and said, you know, what we really need are non-reactive people. Mm. What we really need are people who can have a conversation with each other when they disagree and not storm off or avoid the dialogue or think that they're always right, right. or castigate those people that they think are wrong. We need people who are more open-minded than that. And so if you can model in your congregation's non-anxious presence. What a crazy concept. And respectful dialogue that will help us mm. at the university. Right. And I thought, woohoo, we've been working on that for a couple of years now. Yeah, That's yeah. great. Like, we can do Very that. actively do that. working on that for a couple of years at my church. So, and so I felt pretty good about that. And because part of our heritage as Methodists is John Wesley saying, we don't have to think alike to love alike. Right. We don't have to be on the same page all the time to work together. Right. And so so that was the first thing. The, the disciples have this unity and diversity thing going on yeah. with their congregation in Jerusalem. That is something that we still need to see happening well. Yeah. Because we, we're we living in a world that we're constantly told is divided, which I think just makes for better news.
0: Right, right. Uh, it's, I, it's easier to cover the news if you know the good side and the bad side. If
1: there's drama. Right. if there's oh conservatives hate liberals and liberals hate conservatives i think it's i think it's bull I don't right. think that's true but I think it makes for better news i think yeah. it's it's news Jerry Springer style yeah and we need to see through that yeah so that's part of it but part of it is to just constantly be doing that work because it is so much easier to fall back into the position of but I'm right yeah so there was that thing mm-hmm. can we believe can we believe that we can be un- united in the midst of diversity can we believe it and then the second thing is generosity and poverty. Yeah. Sharing Just, all things in common and having enough for everybody. And so I told my congregation, and I'm telling you now, I am about to swear. Okay. Tony Campolo.
0: Oh, I love this line.
1: Is a famous preacher and kind of evangelical, ex-evangelical. He's an older guy. Yeah. He, um,
0: a lot of a lot of work around youth. And,
1: youth and youth stuff, youth poverty and all that stuff. Uh, Tony Campolo, cool guy was preaching a sermon in which he said the following things. There's three things I need you to know. The first thing is, last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or malnutrition-related diseases. Secondly, most of you don't give a shit. And thirdly, some of you are more upset about the fact that I just said shit than about 30,000 kids dying overnight. (laughs) That is the problem with church.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Generosity in poverty means not accepting that things have to be the way they are. Right. Or that it is inevitable that people will die because they don't have access to things. Like, well, that's not my problem. (laughs) Generosity in poverty is about being so intentional about giving what we can away. Yeah. That other people will find what they need to survive. Right. Right. It's about making sure that we trust That God actually does work through money. Yeah. That money is not the root of all evil. The love love of of money is is the root root of all evil. evil. And guarding our own stuff jealously is is what keeps (laughs) other people from having what they need. Yeah. Particularly in a world where the income gap is growing at an astronomical rate. We need to be taking care of each other. Yeah. So that's a thing. And I said, you know... uh, budgets are moral documents. Mm -hmm. They show us where our priorities are. And as somebody who works with budgets a lot, I can tell you that it's not always fair to compare line items. Like it's not always fair to compare a fixed cost to a non-fixed cost and say, but look at the difference here because some things we can't change, right? Right. At our church, we know that the building is going to cost a certain amount of money to repair and maintain. We know that salaries are going to cost a certain amount and are going to be increasing with cost of living. We know that those things are true. But we can also look at Where are we primarily investing our our resources? And if we think the building is not just the building, the building is how we host weddings and funerals and worship and And art concerts concerts and and music concerts and and outside groups, outside groups and and work with justice um, Mm -hmm. justice issues and work with uh, Mm -hmm. people in poverty and work all of those different things. Then we see that the building is not just the building. The building is the place where we have to do the things that we need to do. Right. And we see that staff is not just staff. Staff is about supporting the ministries that we care about. Right. So we can look at budgets and see that they are moral documents. This was the Sunday after the Saturday when we bombed Syria. Oh, yes. And on that strike, we used 112 Tomahawk missiles, which cost about $1.87 million each, which means that that bomb strike Mm Mm-hmm. Just the bombs, not even including the the, the gas, not including the personnel or anything else, cost $224 million. The estimated cost to fix all of Flint's pipes so that the people of Flint will have access to the water that they need to survive is $55 million. Shice. It's less than a quarter of one bomb Bomb strike. And you can argue about, well, isn't that the state of Michigan's problem? Isn't that the city of Flint's problem? But if there is something in America yeah. that is threatening the lives of Americans, then it's all of our problem. Oh. That includes Puerto Rico. Amen. That includes the people uh, who are protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yep. Uh, it includes everybody within the country. If there's something that threatens your way of life. It's all of our problem. Or your existence rather than your way of life. Life. It's, it's your everybody's existence. everybody's problem yeah budgets are moral documents can we believe that being generous will actually help us to take care of the people that we need to be taken care of can we believe it because 55 million versus 224 million is that's a pretty concrete number that is a concrete number so then I closed with a story when I said, you know, people in the world are desperate to see this so that they too can believe it. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they're going to see it is if we're willing to show them, right. We're willing to show them that we can get along, even if we don't, if we, even if we don't agree, if we're willing to show them that we can be generous, even in the midst of scarcity, like if we show them, then they will have the opportunity to experience grace. Right. And if we don't show them, then they won't. One of our members was meeting with a friend at Starbucks on Wedge Parkway to do some committee planning. And mm-hmm. When she ordered her lunch, the young barista who was waiting on her said, your lunch is on me. And she was stunned. When she asked him why, he said because of her t-shirt. She was wearing a shirt that said, love thy neighbor, thy homeless neighbor, mm. thy gay neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, thy Jewish neighbor, thy addicted neighbor, thy Christian neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy disabled neighbor. Jesus didn't make exceptions, and we don't either. Amen. When she said, why, he said, because of her shirt, because it promotes peace in our world. She couldn't have been more surprised and delighted, and I know she made the barista's day. (laughs) People need to know that we're in it for everybody's good and not just our own, Mm -hmm. that we can model these things. Because unless we see it, generally, we're just not going to believe it. No, But I think we can show it. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to what you've been talking about or what we've been talking about today, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or find us at our website at sundaymorningsleepin.com. Um, or find us on Facebook or all the places that you can find this podcast. Uh, The scripture for this podcast was Acts 4, verses 32 to 35. And the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer.
1: It's traditional at the end of of worship service for the priest to deliver a blessing to the congregation. Some wise words that make everybody just a little bit holier. So I'm just going to say love thy neighbor because maybe somebody needs to see it Mm. in order to believe it. And maybe once they believe it, they can join you Mm -hmm. and trying to love their neighbor too so whatever you believe about t-shirts or (laughs) bombs or tony campolo (laughs) the question (laughs) for you this week yeah or swearing Uh, whatever you believe about any of that how will you choose to live into your own skin how will you love how will you listen how will you serve how will you seek justice maybe you slept in but now it's time to wake up and get moving
0: amen